Hey everyone, this is Liam Sanya from Scientist.com, and in this special episode of Industry Insights with Crown Bioscience, we're speaking with Dr. Natalia Bessina, head of Crown Bioscience's 3D ex vivo patient tissue platform, and Dr. Martin Hornsfeld, a senior scientist in oncology. So we've recently had a webinar with Natalia and Martin covering different research tools and methodologies used to assay the suppressive tumor microenvironment, or TME, for immuno-oncology research. A link to that webinar will be in the description here, but today we'll be talking about native and reconstituted TME assays, how they can help in the preparation for clinical trials, and what kinds of therapies in development would benefit the most from this kind of testing. Um, already then, Martin and Natalia, uh, thanks so much for joining us to chat today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Uh, so we'll cut right to the chase here. So in the webinar, we asked a number of polling questions about what kinds of approaches are most suitable for their purposes, as in you know, 2D or 3D cultures, ex vivo tissue, that kind of thing. Um, we also asked what kind of immune cells are most relevant to their work. Um, and also what kind of tumor indications are most relevant uh, for the research in the context of the TME assay. So to start off with, uh, what can you tell us about the polling results? I've, I was actually a bit surprised that uh, almost 50% of the people were still voting for uh, 2D cell cultures or organoid monocultures. By, well, we have been trying to convince people, I think, through the course of these lectures to go for a more complex setup. So I, I was actually, I, I mean, fair enough, you know, there's uh, many good reasons to go for uh, 2D and, uh, and, uh, and 3D monocultures still. But that, I, I do think it was an interesting uh, uh, outcome if you look at, um, you know, the, the interest in immunology, which is almost always more than uh, just one uh, culture, I would say. Yeah, I, I agree with Martin. I was also surprised to see 25% of people still using 2D assays. Uh, but I think, you know, it takes time for the field to develop. And, and 3D assays is still relatively new field and, and it's still developing and especially complex 3D assays, not only organoids, but the assays that have multiple cell types included, like what Martin and I work with. Um, it takes time for the field also to accept them uh, and, and to find uh, the most relevant assay. Uh, and it was also interesting to see what cell types uh, people were thinking if they would use these complex assays for the most relevant ones. And I think the majority were still T cells, right, and, and lymphocytes, but there were some other interesting um, cells. What do you think, Marta? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, in the end, uh, we forgot, of course, the one that everybody mi missed, uh, you know, the, the, the option fibroblasts. That was, of course, why everybody was tuning in for the cancer immunity cycle talks. But uh, no, for <laughs> sure, you know, it's, uh, I think it's nice to see that there's a broad uh, interest also in different myeloid populations. Of course, quite a complicated field, uh, up and coming if it comes to immunotherapy approaches. Uh, T-cells, of course, are already uh, a, a decade-long uh, one of the favorites to study. So no surprise there that most people uh, are interested in working with those. Um, not so much 
uh, dendritic interest, so for dendritic cells. Although mm. I think there have been quite some promising studies recently where you can uh, condition dendritic cells to start presenting uh, tumor neoantigens uh, and then retransplant those. I think this is actually quite an interesting um, develop, recent development in that field. And yeah, so that's, uh, you know, the in that sense, this was according to expectations. Uh, there's interesting mm-hmm. to see also that, uh, you know, you have the M1 and M2 polarizations in the, in the macrophages that apparently attract uh, equal amount of interest. <laughs> but, uh, although, uh, you know, I think uh, for many people it will be hard to determine what polarization exactly is uh, uh, they want to target. You know, this, so this, is, uh, this is also one of the questions in the podcast, of course, you know, how, how to deal with those macrophages. And that com- becomes very clear uh, from this poll that this is something that people are um, very in- eager to go into. But, uh, uh, yeah, for me, it was also interesting to see um, which tumor indications people are working with or they're interested working with, uh, of course, because that's more relevant uh, for uh, the native TME samples that, that we do receive in uh, um, in our team. And uh, uh, the, the, the usual suspects that I would say the non-small cell lung cancer and breast cancer melanoma were the ones that scored more. Uh, but on the other hand, on the other hand, gastric cancers and, and CRC were also uh, quite well uh, demanded, uh, let's say in the assays and uh, other more rare types of cancers as well. And I think that's that's important uh, to know. And unfortunately, we couldn't include even more options uh, for for this poll. There were only nine uh, possibilities, but uh, there are many more <laughs> that we can do. Uh, in this type of assays. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, judging by our audience, we definitely do have a uh, pretty diverse range of applications and fields um, that people are interested in. So um, out of those, uh, for what types of therapies do you think these assays are uh, most useful, do you think? Well, I mean, there's really a broad range of applications that you can think of here. Uh, and it's, I think, nice also to step back a little bit uh, and, you know, at least comment on the 2D uh, cell cultures and the organoid monocultures, because, of course, this are, these are optimal models to sort of study biochemistry. You know, if a protein binds to another protein, it doesn't really matter in what kind of 3D dimensions you will grow your cell. You know, if those proteins are there, they will bind. So I think this is also the reason why many people still uh, enjoy working with uh, the 2D cell cultures, you know, super practical, very good for d- discovery, screening, uh, cost efficient. You know, these kind of uh, per- uh, development steps are really, you know, something that fit very well within the 2D cell line space. But uh, also, I think more and more evidence is there that we can, you know, combine discovery and mode of action in the same screens using a bit more complicated models like the organoid models. Uh, and then, you know, especially for the co-cultures that we have been presenting in our seminars, uh, the co-cultures between myeloid cells, T-cells, fibroblasts, these, I would say, are most suitable for, you know, the, the mode of action study. So not necessarily in the drug discovery steps of a drug development pipeline, but really, you know, if you already have some promising leads uh, based on screening and basic models, then these uh, these models become more 
uh, more relevant to study because then, you know, you, the, the localization of the target that you want to engage with is heavily dependent on the 3D space and the culture conditions. Um, also, you know, especially in upcoming fields where like the anti uh, antibody drug conjugate fields or ad other antibody-based approaches, they really require you to be able to see where is your antibody going? Is it binding to the right uh, marker of interest? Are they delivering into the tissues? Uh, and how far, uh, how deep do these drugs penetrate into uh, tissue. So this is really where the power of uh, the 3D cultures and the co-cultures comes in. Um, you know, speaking from my own uh, expertise with the fibroblasts, uh, fibroblasts, they form physical barriers that you need to be able to bridge with your drug. They can metabolize drugs. They can, you know, affect uh, cells in their uh, survival responses. So, you know, in, this, in these cases, you know, this Lego-like approach, like how I presented it, is very useful because you can get your cancer of interest, you mix them with the fibroblasts, most of the properties are there that you want to study, uh, and then you can really go into the biology a bit more. When we increase that complexity, uh, complexity towards the uh, immune system, this becomes a little bit more tricky. Uh, in seminar two, uh, Marit already very nicely demonstrated that you can um, make matched organoid uh, immune cell pairs, uh, you know, where you go for autologous systems. Of course, the systems that I proposed, uh, presented about in my talk, they are all allogenic. So, you know, you will run into limitations that, um, that uh, the T-cell engagement with the cells, you know, we can do very basic killing assays, infiltration assays, these kind of assays, and they are still very suitable but if you really want to go into this immune checkpoint inhibitor field, you know, you need everything uh, uh, to actually be able to study this. And this is actually really, you know, where Natalia's platform with the ex-vivo patient tissue comes in. So I think, uh, you know, I would be out of my league to start mansplaining <laughs> this. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. Um, yes, indeed. So uh, if we are really speaking about recapitulating cancer immunity cycle in a dish, you know, in, in vitro, then in this case, um, the ex vivo assays would be our best bet, I would say, because um, this, this gives really a footprint of what is in there in this patient tumor. Uh, with all cell types that are represented there, including T cells and myeloid cells and fibroblasts and, of course, tumor cells. And uh, it's, it's all complex interplay that is necessary there uh, to uh, have uh, to observe drug effects from uh, some very complex drugs uh, like immune checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, it is extremely difficult to see the effects in allogenic setups what, from these molecules, what uh, Martin already mentioned. But in our system, in the Xvivo system, we do see effects from these drugs. Uh, and uh, not only uh, we can measure it by uh, some cytokine increase, so indirect effect, but we also see direct killing effect uh, of the tumor. And, and that's what makes this... Um, set up very uh, valuable in the drug development process because when you do have already uh, a drug candidate and you need to test it in, let's say, field, real field-like conditions uh, on a patient tissue, 
then this assay comes into play and, and we can test uh, on different indications and, and see if we see the response uh, to this type of molecules like immune checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, and it, it will depend, of course, a bit on the uh, patient and, and on the indication. Uh, but what we do see is that about 20% of the tissues that we receive respond to at least the known immune checkpoint inhibitors. And that also corresponds to what is seen in the clinic. Uh, so that's showing the translatability of this assay. But one of the downsides here is that we have to test enough patient tissues to see those 20% uh, responders. Uh, so it's not like we can take one patient sample and, and, and hope uh, that the drug will work on it. Uh, it means that we need to test five, maybe sometimes 10 different patient samples uh, to be able to see uh, the, the drug effects of this kind of molecules. Fantastic. Yeah, some really, really great points there. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, so shifting gears a bit. So out of the different assays uh, that was presented here, uh, what stages of drug development do you think are most relevant for the assays? Um, I think what Martin already mentioned that uh, more simplistic assays, you know, that do not involve a lot of cellular players can be used at the earlier stages. Uh, when not maybe not for screening, but when the mechanism of action is needed to be known uh, or uh, traced a bit better uh, in vitro. And regarding the ex vivo assays, it's really almost at the, at the door, let's say, of clinical trials uh, where we can uh, test uh, one or two best candidates uh, compounds in, uh, in the patient material. So think about it a bit like in vitro clinical trial uh, setup. Yeah, that's absolutely. Uh, yeah, I can really adhere to that. It's uh, you know for especially. I, I think you know the 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 reconstituted TME approaches are really you know on the crossroads of academic uh, discovery and uh, and actual actual mode of action studies. You know, especially in the high content imaging platforms, we can really study in a lot of detail how your drug is. Uh, affecting a tumor, but indeed, uh, this is really also dependent on the drug types, uh, on the type of screen you want to perform. Because I think both uh, the ex vivo platform and the reconstitute TME, they are quite time consuming and labor intense uh, procedures. And uh, so this, this makes these procedures also a little bit more expensive to perform. Uh, so it's always better to already know a little bit what you want to look for, because you know unbiased screening in these kind of setups uh, uh, is really you know not very feasible or cost effective. I would say so. This it's all yeah. I would say uh, if you you can put it uh, somewhere in the drug development pipeline uh, in the year two or three after you have your lead compounds, and then are really eager to move on. Perfect. Yeah. Great points uh, all around. So yeah, again, Martin and Natalia, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. It was really nice speaking with you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our recent webinar together, and you can also catch the next webinar in our Cancer Immunity Cycle series starting on March the 2nd, which will be called What's Next in Preclinical Cancer Immunotherapy Research. That one will be a panel discussion covering new and emerging methods and future directions for immuno-oncology. We hope to see you there, and have a great day, everyone.